Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Okay, let's just um, uh, read a little bit further this morning in Acts chapter 28, and I want to preach for a few moments as long as my voice will allow, allow me to do that. Y'all may be here for an hour more. Uh, you may be here for 15 minutes more. I don't know. Um, but I want to preach a little bit this morning about Thanksgiving. We're going to pick back up in Acts chapter. I see some of you are already praying for 15 minutes, Lord. 10 minutes, maybe. Um, but let's pick back up in Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse number 17. So at, this is after Paul has arrived in uh, Rome, remember? After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you. <clears throat> what, your, what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, God. I ask that, Lord, you would anoint me this morning to preach your word effectively, God, with clarity and with conviction, with anointing, O oh God. Speak to us this morning, Lord, and enable us to hear what you desire to say to each one of us, God. Teach us, Lord, all. Teach us how we can live grateful lives, Lord, in this world. And Father, we'll give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, isn't it funny, <clears throat> I was thinking about this this week, isn't it funny how sometimes we can allow one bad thing to ruin our day while during the course of that same day, we may overlook a hundred good things in our life. I mean, uh, has anybody else had that experience before? I mean, you woke up, you're feeling good, and then something ha happened to me the other day. I got a phone call, and it just it ruined my day. And I'll admit, I get that off my chest. Confession is good for the soul, right? And so I got a phone call, and it ruined my day. And uh, about halfway, well, about halfway through the day, I felt convicted about it. And I said, Lord, I've let one thing just ruin my day. And so please forgive me. But we, we're all guilty of doing that, aren't we? Just allowing one small thing to, to ruin our day while during the course of that same day, there may be a hundred, probably thousands of things that if we took the time to notice and to focus on, then... Uh, we would overflow with gratitude and joy to God for how he has blessed us and what he has done in our life. Ironically, you know, ironically, that's the paradox of living lives of general peace and prosperity. That, that is that we, we routinely take for granted 
the many things around us that are good, the blessings that are around us each and every day, we routinely take those things for granted and we gripe about the few bad things that we're forced to endure. How many knows some of the bad things are not even really that bad after all, are they? Uh, the other day, listen, the other day I left Starbucks and got me a coffee and got in my car and I, I didn't start drinking it right away because well, I wanted to save it and savor it on the trip home, right? So I got down the road a little ways and I popped that thing open and started drinking and I discovered that they had got my order wrong at Starbucks. <laughs> Has that ever happened to anybody before? I mean, it wasn't so wrong that I poured it out, amen. <laughs> I mean, I drank it, uh, um, but I recognized, I realized they got my, and I felt, felt crummy because, that, man, they forgot. They got my order wrong at Starbucks. I mean, and, uh, listen, that was $4 I spent on that coffee. And they, I mean, those, those things, those things um, are, are sometimes called first world problems, you heard that expression before? First world problems. Those are that's an ex, that's, that's a term for problems that aren't really problems at, at all. They're inconveniences. They're things that uh, we allow to become problems. Can I show you a few examples of first world problems this morning? I just printed up a couple of them. This one says, "Goes to the restaurant, only serves bottled water." I mean, that's a first world problem. That's not really a problem at all. What's the next one, Jared? Next one is, my laptop is dying, but the charger is in another room. Oh, my. I mean, that's, a, that's not a problem. That's a first world problem. How about this one? Phone is so new, no one makes cases for it. Oh, man. That's a terrible problem. That's a first world problem, right? Last one, the Wi-Fi is free, but it's too slow. <laughs> Well, that's just a few examples of the kinds of problems that we allow to ruin our day. They're, they're not problems at all. <laughs> and some of the things that we allow to ruin our day, it, they blind us to the many things that God has done for us and placed in our life about which we ought to be praising and thanking God for his goodness. Amen? Of course, not all of the problems that we face are first world problems. I'm not trying to make light of the problems that we do face. I mean, we do have oftentimes real problems in our life. So not all of the problems that we face are first world problems. But, but those do illustrate for us how, how ease and how comfort in our life and how convenience may actually cause us, if we're not careful, may cause us to become ungrateful and unthankful for the many blessings that are uh, in our life. That is, unless, unless we cultivate a life of gratitude, unless we cultivate a life of thanksgiving to God for all of his blessings. Gratitude is defined as the quality of being thankful. Being th I like this definition that I found this week, and it goes like this. Gratitude is, quote, readiness to show appreciation and to return kindness. How many believes that our world could use a little bit more gratitude? Amen. 
just the ability to show appreciation for the good things that we do have, the blessings that God has given to us, the, a readiness to return kindness to others uh, around us. And gratitude is expressed by learning to give thanks. And that's what this week is about, thanksgiving. We ought to be grateful for, because how many knows we have so much to be thankful for? We ought to be grateful because we have so much to be thankful for, but as it turns out, gratitude is not automatically produced by the accumulation of good things in our life. We think that's how it ought to work. The more good things we get, the more good things that happen to us, we, we think that it ought to naturally produce gratitude and thanksgiving. We receive more, and so we express thanksgiving more. But how many knows that's not always the way that it works? It is, it is, not, it is not always. In fact, it's not usually prosperity and abundance that teaches best how to be grateful, but rather, ironically, it's privation and it's adversity and it's trials and difficulties that teach us how to appreciate the good things that we do have in our life. We can see this demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul. No man in the New Testament, with the exception of Jesus Christ, obviously, but no other man in the New Testament suffered more than the Apostle Paul. No man suffered more than Paul. We've seen much of his sufferings as we've made our way through the book of Acts. We've read about some of the things that he has had to endure. But how many knows not everything that Paul encountered or that Paul endured, not everything is recorded in the book of Acts. In fact, Paul himself provides a, for us a brief description of his much suffering in his second letter to the Corinthians when he was forced to write to them and, and he is in this letter he is forced to assert his apostolic authority uh, to the church and so he says to them but whatever anyone else dares to boast of I'm speaking as a fool he said I also dare to boast of that are they Hebrews Paul says so am I are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of, offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Paul says, I am a better one. Then he says, I'm talking like a madman here. <laughs> then he says this, with far greater labors, with far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. We've only read about one time, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On <clears throat> frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, 
through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, uh, on me, of my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak, Paul says, and I am not weak. You see, the extent of Paul's suffering is, is unprecedented. It's unprecedented. As I said, it is exceeded only by the suffering of Jesus Christ himself. The closest comparison that we have to Paul's suffering is in the Old Testament. It's Job in the Old Testament. However, unlike, unlike Job, Paul never complains about the adversity that he is required to endure. I want you to just think about that this morning. Paul never, in, never complains about any of the adversity that he endures. Job, how I many knows Job, he did his share of complaining, didn't he, in the Old Testament. Paul, arguably, he suffered more than Job suffered. And Paul never complained about the adversity and the suffering that he was required to endure. In fact, and, and here's the amazing thing, in fact, not only is Paul not melancholy and sour, Paul is actually the most joyful, the most content, the most thankful person in the New Testament. In spite of his difficulties and in spite of his problems and the things that he faced, he is the most joyful, content thankful person in the entire New Testament. Paul, listen, Paul writes more about thanksgiving and joy than any biblical author. I haven't added it all up, but I would dare say this morning, he writes more about joy and thanksgiving than all of the other biblical authors combined because it is a theme of the Apostle Paul, his joy and his thanksgiving. Now, <clears throat> we have many things to be thankful for, and yet we complain, don't we? We complain about the few problems that we, that we have. Paul had many things <laughs> uh, to complain about, and yet he was thankful and he was joyful. What's, what's the difference between us and Paul? What enabled him to live a life of gratitude and a life of thanksgiving. Well, we see some of it in these few verses that we've read here this morning in Acts chapter 28. Paul had been in Rome for only three days before he calls for the local Jewish leaders and he, he brings them together. Now, Paul's notoriety as a former Pharisee and uh, his notoriety as a preacher of Jesus Christ drew a crowd Local Jewish leaders said they hadn't heard anything about his arrest and the charges that had been brought against him from Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem, but no doubt they had heard about Paul. In fact, they say, we've heard everywhere about this sect, about Christians, and how many people are opposed to it. And so they were curious to hear uh, from the apostle Paul. So he gathers them together, and I want you to notice again how Paul begins his discourse with these Jewish leaders. He says, brothers, though, though I had done nothing against, 
our people or the customs of our fathers. Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Paul begins by stating his, uh, by stating his innocence and by explaining that his treatment had been or was undeserved. He did not deserve to be a prisoner. He had been, uh, un- he had been falsely accused, unfairly handed over uh, to the Romans and imprisoned unjustly. So he begins by stating his innocence, explaining that his treatment was undeserved. But listen, this is not a complaint. It is, it is simply a statement of fact. It's a statement of fact. It may sound like a complaint to us because, well, because that is where we might begin to complain about some unjust treatment that we have received or some unfair difficulty that we have encountered in our life. I wonder this morning, does it sound, does it sound familiar to you? All I did was this and they treated me like that. <laughs> Paul is saying, I, I did nothing wrong, yet I was handed over to, the ha- to, to be imprisoned by the Romans. So it sounds like a complaint because it's how we might start to complain about something. All I did was this, and then they treated me like that. Though I didn't do anything wrong, this happened to me. Woe is me. I don't deserve the bad things that are happening to me. That's how we might complain about a similar situation. I wonder this morning, have you ever started a conversation like that before? I'm just trying to do what's right, and I don't understand why all of this bad stuff keeps happening to me. (laughs) I've, uh, I've listened to some conversations like that before, haven't you? I've, I've made some statements like that before. Some of my prayers start out like that. How about you? I know you guys are so holy and everything. That doesn't apply to you. But sometimes I'll say, Lord, I'm just, Lord, I'm just trying to do what's right. Why can't I get a break? All this bad stuff just keeps happening uh, to me. Well, it's, um, and it's at that point that some folks become bitter. I'm just trying to do what's right and all this bad stuff. I don't understand. Why does all this bad stuff keep happening to me? I'm just, I'm just trying to please you, God. I'm just trying to do what's, what's right. So it's at that point that some folks become bitter. But listen, not Paul. Paul's not complaining about this. Paul's stating a fact about it. Although Paul was treated unjustly, although Paul was required to endure the hardships and the adversity of imprisonment, Paul remained joyful and optimistic and thankful. In fact, the letters that he wrote to the church during this time, it reflects that. For example, uh, Philippians, one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned uh, by the Romans, Philippians is actually considered to be the most joyful book in the New Testament. 16 times in only 104 verses, Paul uses the Greek word for joy or rejoice. 
For instance, he reminds them, rejoice in the Lord, although he is the one who is in bonds for Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that Paul is encouraging the church to rejoice in the Lord, although he is enduring the adversity and the injustice of Roman imprisonment? The Colossians, also written during this period, he exhorts the Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, Paul is joyful and thankful, optimistic, in spite of the difficulties that he is enduring. He says much the same to the Ephesians, another letter that he wrote while he was imprisoned by the Romans. But this time he's a little bit more specific when it comes to thanksgiving. He says uh, to the Ephesians, and don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Isn't it funny how our world turns to wine and alcohol to give them joy when all they need to do is turn to Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't need alcohol. We need Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. He's the one that can fill our needs. So don't get drunk with wine, uh, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, he says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> now we hear that and we say, always and for everything, <laughs> uh, give thanks. It seems, it seems like it's something that is impossible for us to do, considering the bad things that can and do happen in our life. It seems impossible to be thankful always for everything. Um, forget, forget first world problems. How about real world problems? When you're sick and when you're behind in your bills or your rent, uh, how about when your marriage is on the rocks or your kids are rebelling? How many knows those are some real world problems, right? Is it possible to rejoice in the Lord always, to give thanks always and for everything even in the midst of such real-world problems, Paul did it. Paul remained joyful and thankful in spite of having to endure opposition and adversity and trials and trouble like none of us have ever had to experience, like none of us will ever have to experience, I pray. Paul remained joyful and thankful. Let me suggest how Paul was able to remain grateful, although he suffered more than you and I 
ever will. First of all, he got his joy from Jesus Christ. He got his joy from Jesus Christ. He didn't draw joy from um, his circumstances and what was going on around us. Listen, can I tell you this morning, if, if the only time that you can give thanks is when you've got a turkey on the table and food all around you, then listen, you're not going to give thanks very often, right? If the only time that you can be happy and feel joy in when is when everything in your life is going the way that you expect it to go, then how many knows there will be times when you can't feel joy or give thanks to God. But Paul says, give thanks always in all things for everything in our life. That is only possible when you draw your joy and you get your joy from Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's how Paul was able to remain optimistic and joyful and give thanksgiving to God was because his joy came from a place that was much deeper than this temporary world. His joy came from his salvation that he enjoyed because of Jesus Christ. How many knows, I've said it before, if God never does another thing for any one of us, how many knows he's already done enough? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us so that we don't have to go to hell, but so that we can have eternal life, and not just eternal life, but abundant life in Jesus Christ. And if that's not something to feel joy about, then you'll never feel the kind of joy that God desires for you to have. Paul got his joy from Jesus Christ. He didn't tie his joy and his thanksgiving to the things that were going on around him. Number two, I'm going to hurry through these this morning. Number two, <clears throat> he got his joy from Jesus Christ. Number two, he found joy in others. He found joy in others. There is not a book that Paul writes um, some of you Bible scholars are going to look this up, and if I need to be corrected, you let me know. But let me know after the service, all right? There's not a, there's not a letter that Paul writes that he does not express thanksgiving for those that he is writing to. And that includes churches like the Church of Galatia, which he expresses to them his thanksgiving. I thank God for you, Paul says to the Galatians. And, and then he launches into an attack on the Galatian church, <laughs> and he just unleashes on them. You foolish Galatians, I love you, I'm thankful for you, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you <laughs> that you would depart from the truth? That includes the Corinthian church. Where he writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, I thank God for you. And then he launches into the Corinthian church. He says, there is, some, there is sin among you like like there's not even in the world, there's, there's you, some of you guys are guilty of sin like people in the world. They don't even commit that kind of sin. But Paul says, but I'm thankful for you. Every church, all the believers that he wrote, he expressed his thanksgiving and his joy for his fellow believers. He told, I believe it is the Philippians, he said, you are my crown and my joy. And so he learned to find joy in the success of others. He learned to find joy in giving to others. And friends, that's a lesson for each one of us. We need to get our joy from Jesus Christ. And then we need, listen, we need a perspective in life that helps us to look beyond the small circle of our own life. Amen? We need to look around and find joy in other people's lives. 
as well. Investing in them, loving them. We're a part of we're a part of the body of Christ. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. When one person hurts, we all hurt. When somebody else rejoices, we all rejoice. Amen? Amen. So you can find your joy in ministering to others and enjoying and thanking God for the good things that God is. Rather than, rather than envying that other person for something that God is doing in their life, thank God for what God is doing in their life. Can I get an amen on that? So he was able to find his joy in others. He wasn't so consumed in his own situation that he closed his eyes to others. He found joy in others. But then thirdly, and more to the point this morning, he chose joy in the midst of adversity. He chose joy in the midst of adversity. Paul, Paul understood that God has a purpose and God has a reason in everything that he allows in our life. That we've, I've been preaching that pretty strong through the series of the book of Acts. Is that he's a personal God. He's involved in the details of your life. And if you'll trust him and if you'll serve him, then, then he has a purpose for you. He has a future for you. He has a plan for you that exceeds even your wildest imagination. He, how many knows God wants to do good to you this morning? I, I didn't get an amen on that because I know that's, listen, we've, we've all got a little block right here that says God wants to do good. Yes. Um, we're getting ready to celebrate uh, Christmas. When the angels announced the birth of Jesus Christ, they said what? Uh, that they were here to announce glad tidings of great joy because God's favor was being expressed to, God, to his people. He desires to do good to you. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to do good to you. God wants to bless you. Paul understood that. So that meant that whatever adversity he was going through, whatever trouble he was in the midst of, he knew that he served a good God. Therefore, he understood that God had a purpose in it. God was using everything in his life for God's glory, for Paul's good. And so Paul learned to look for God's purpose in the midst of his pain. He may be going through pain, but in the midst of his pain, he looked for God's purpose in the midst of that pain. He may not have understood what God was doing, but he understood that God was good. And so he chose to trust in God. So, for instance, Paul said to these Jewish leaders, though I did nothing wrong, I, I did nothing wrong. I was delivered as a prisoner into the hands of the Romans. And then in verse 20, he says this, for this reason... Therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. You see what Paul's doing there? Paul is saying, listen, I didn't do anything wrong. I was delivered into the hands. I've, I've suffered this injustice because I didn't do any. But he's not complaining about it. He's not moping about it. He's not grumbling about it. He said, I didn't do anything wrong, and so I was delivered over into the hands of the Romans. And so Paul's saying, so I know that God has a reason for this. 
And so I wanted to meet with you and talk to you because it's for this reason. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. God is going to use this for his glory. God is going to use this for his good. God is going to use this to give me the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. You see, Paul is, is looking for God's purpose in the midst of his, in the midst of his pain. In the midst of what he is going on. And so he is thankful because he knows that God is going to do good. And that God is going to get glory in the midst of his adversity. Paul understood what we need to understand as well. And that is that God always has some higher purpose. God always has some greater good in all of the adversity that he allows us to endure. Paul chose to rejoice in what God was doing. Paul chose to be thankful for what God was doing in spite of his suffering because he understood that God had a greater purpose and a higher good that he was accomplishing through his own suffering. Finally, a grateful life is, is an attractive life. A, great, a Christian that can live a life of gratitude, especially, listen, in the midst of adversity and trouble, is, is a Christian that's going to get the attention of people in the world. They'll see the adversity that you're going through, the trials that you're going through, but when you remain joyful and optimistic and thankful, people are going to look at you and people are going to say, there's something different about that person. I, I know what they're experiencing. I know the diagnosis that the doctor gave them. I know what's going on in their marriage. I know their finances. I know whatever it is. I know the real world problems that they're dealing with. And yet, they're joyful. They're optimistic. They're thankful to God for his purpose in their life, that means there is something different about them. And, it, and the Jews, did you notice, the Jews wanted to hear more of what Paul had to say because, and it really boils down to this, it was because Paul was a compelling witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life was a compelling witness for the gospel. Paul, how can you be so joyful how can you be so optimistic? How can you be so thankful in the, in the midst of what you're going through, the difficulty that you're facing, the imprisonment uh, that you are enduring? And so they wanted to hear more about the gospel. And friends, when our life is a life of gratitude instead of a life of grumbling and complaining about the first world problems that we face and the few things that we have to endure uh, then how many knows we're not a good witness for Jesus Christ? But when we endure adversity and trouble and strife and we can maintain joy because our joy is based in Jesus Christ, when we can express thanksgiving to God, maybe not for what's going on in our life but for what God's doing in somebody else's life, when we can be an optimistic Christian, then that's the kind of Christian that people want to hear and they'll listen to you as a witness for Jesus Christ. Peter puts it this way. Peter says, but even if you should suffer 
for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. What, what is he saying? Listen, even if you're suffering, God's got good in it. God's going to bring good uh, out of it. So even, uh, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. He's talking about the world. Nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen, friends, if we can remain optimistic and hopeful in a world that has lost hope, in, in a world that is um, as messed up as our world is today, they don't, need a, they don't need a church, they don't need Christians that are angry and arguing right alongside of them. They need, they need the witness of a church, of a body of believers, of people in Christ who are saying, in spite of what's going on around, listen, I'm thankful to God because my hope is not based on the circumstances of this world. My hope is not based on who sits in the White House. My hope is not based on who controls the Congress or the Senate. Because, listen, my hope is in the ruler of heaven and earth. Amen. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And I know that no matter what I endure, no matter what I face, no matter what I go through here in this life, God has a good purpose in it. God is going to do good to me. God wants to bring glory out of it in my life. And so I'm going to, re I'm going to maintain a, a joy, a, a, a life of gratitude, a life of thanksgiving to God. Amen? To cultivate that kind of life so that I'll have the opportunity to tell this world about Jesus Christ, the one who gives me hope and the one who gives me joy. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.